Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lightning Insider podcast. I am Eric Rowlandson from lightninginsider.com, and going to talk about the game four between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Boston Bruins. Tampa Bay comes away with a three to one victory. They now lead the series three games to one. Game five will take place on Monday. That'll be a 7 p.m. start time, eh, probably closer to 7.15, maybe 7.10, depending on uh, what goes on with the broadcast, but uh, not exactly at 7 o'clock, but shortly after. Uh, We're going to dissect some of the things that took place in today's game. Uh, We're going to talk about the Nick Ritchie hit. We're going to hear from both coaches, Boston Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy, as well as Tampa Bay Lightning head coach John Cooper. On that play, there's some of the rhetoric that you tend to hear sometimes in a playoff series between the two coaches when a situation comes up like the hit that Nick Ritchie delivered to Yanni Gord. So we'll get into that a little bit. Of course, we'll take questions as well. Uh, Those questions will be a little bit later on in the podcast here. Uh, Fan questions that we'll get to. We're going to talk about something that is a big difference with this team this year, maybe compared to previous seasons. And I'll give you a couple of examples on why it looks a little different. And then maybe we'll discuss what's to expect come Monday and some theories that have floated around in terms of the bubble situation with certain teams and uh, what happens when the series is, you know, 3-1 as it is right now between Tampa Bay and Boston. But again, the Lightning did win this game 3-1. They got goals from Victor Hedman. They got two goals from Andre Palat. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Palat too. Very interesting. Um, If you were listening to the previous podcast, um, actually a couple of podcasts ago where we kind of put you inside the mind of John Cooper a little bit and what trust he puts into his players. Uh, and as that relates to an Andre Palat uh, situation, again, four goals now in the series for Andre Palat. He's got two of the game winners. Of course, the overtime game winner in game two he ends up with a game winner today as well. So we'll talk about Andre Palat a little bit as well. By the way, if you are not a subscriber to my website, if you want to subscribe, if you go to lightninginsider.com and you sign up for a yearly package, uh, you can enter the promo code podcast and I will give you $10 off the first year of your subscription. So that's the promo code podcast in the coupon code at lightninginsider.com. All right, let's get into what the some of the differences with this team maybe compared to previous years. And, you know, there's been some topics that have come up here in the last little while in terms of the maturity of this team, the different feel of this team. You know, everybody, well, a lot of people, of course, will look back 
on last year and what happened in the first round against Columbus where you set an NHL record or tie an NHL record with 62 wins. And then you get to the postseason, you don't win any. So, of course, a lot of people will want to look at that and and compare this team to that team. Yeah, a lot of same players, but the the concept of a different team makeup a different personality to the team a little bit. You know, we've mentioned the additions of Goodrow and Coleman and Bogosian at the trade deadline, the additions of Pat Maroon and Kevin Shattenkirk uh, before the season started, the signing of Curtis McElhaney before the season started. You know, so there is a lot of different players on this team, but what I think we see differently from this team is just their approach, right? Like John Cooper mentioned a couple of days ago, in regards to um, tweaking things, right? Like it's it's easy to look back on last year, see what happened and say, well, that's it, time to blow it up. Got to get rid of everybody. Let's bring in a new group of players and see what they do. Like you can't have those type of emotional reactions. You have to kind of sit back and uh, analyze what, what took place and, and why it took place and, you know, we've heard Julian Breezeball talk throughout the year about some of that. But I very interesting things from John Cooper. I don't know if it was at the end of the Columbus series uh, or not. But, you know, he, he talked about they didn't feel they needed to do a lot of changes. They obviously tweaked a couple of things here or there. You know, they just felt that they needed to kind of bring in a little bit of a different identity in some ways. And, you know, if you listen to me on Lightning Power Play, on Lightning Lunch throughout the year, that's there now. Especially with the additions of Goodrow and Coleman and those guys that they brought in. There's just a different identity, a different feel to this team. And I think one of the areas that it translates over to is their approach to concentrating, focusing on little plays in the defensive zone. Look, there were times today where it got a little hairy. They had some issues clearing the puck. Boston was sort of putting the full court press on them because they're trailing the game. So in the third period, it kind of got a little hairy at times. Uh, issues with, with pucks going off the boards and being picked off or Bruins being in areas where they could challenge the puck exiting the zone. You know, teams do that when they're trailing a game, uh, especially in the third period, and try and keep puck possession and keep a puck in a zone. And we saw that today. But here here's where I think this team, again, is starting to show more maturity and more understanding. So it's a 3 nothing game going into the third period. And you start to find yourself in a little bit of penalty problems. And the Bruins had a brief five-on-three in the third period. The Lightning took a couple other uh, penalties uh, in the third. Uh, They took one at the end of the second. Zach Bogosian took a holding call with 57 seconds left. Blake Coleman takes a hooking call. Uh, 54 seconds into the third period, so that's your 10-second five-on-three situation. Uh, And then Luke Shen takes a hooking call, uh, and we're not talking about whether or not they're penalties or not they're penalties. But so here you are five minutes into the third period, and you're having to kill off basically your third penalty of the period. So the Bruins are gaining some momentum. They're 
power play is dangerous. They've scored a power play goal in every series in this or every game in this series, and they did it again today because Jake DeBrusque scores uh, with one second left on the Shen penalty. So at 7:04, uh, it becomes a 3-1 game. So then you're thinking, oh boy, here we go. Here's the problem. Uh, how are they going to handle it? Are they really a, a more mature team? And I think that we can answer that question uh, right now and say, yeah, I think they are. Because, yes, the the Bruins look dangerous. And, you know, if you want to go by uh, some of the stats on their power play, again, they had the the three power play opportunities in the third period. One carryover, uh, kill off the Coleman call, and then the, the Shen call. So it's almost five minutes of power play time in the opening seven minutes of the third period. Well, the shot attempts the Bruins had was 16-2. to two. So there's the pressure mounting. There's the puck possession. There's the gaining the momentum. So the power play was, was really effective. They actually generated seven scoring chances and four high-danger chances off their power play time just in the third period. That's just in the third period. So they get the goal. And here we go, right? Okay, it's a game. Now there's an opportunity here. But this is where the Lightning are different now. They didn't take another penalty the rest of the game. So they they refocused on their discipline. And the five-on-five shot attempts for the third period were 15-9 to in favor of Tampa Bay. The shots on goal at five-on-five in the third period were 4-2 in favor of Tampa Bay. So that kind of gives you an idea of how much they focused on protecting the lead. And and I'll I go back to this clip from last year. I've done it a, more than a couple of times this year. But when Tampa Bay went ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets in game one last year, 3-0, and they lose the game 4-3, where John Cooper said they were more worried about scoring the fourth goal than they were about preventing the first goal. So this is where the understanding of winning playoff games comes into it. I don't think the Bruins had a shot on goal, and I don't know if I'm in the right neighborhood or not. I believe I heard Brian Burns say that it was about six and a half minutes, the final six and a half minutes of the third period, no shots on goal. That's a commitment to blocking shots. That's a commitment to defensive zone structure. And that's a commitment to making right plays. And all you got to do is look at the defensive play that Nikita Kucherov made to disrupt a high-quality scoring chance. I believe it was David Posternock coming down that left side uh, as a right-hand shot. And that kind of gives you an idea of what understanding that maybe this team has a little bit more now. So I think that's a big difference between maybe teams of the past of the Lightning that have been built on speed and skill, and now you bring in players such as a Goodrow, such as a Coleman, who maybe have a different DNA, hockey DNA, to them, that there's a a different commitment. And, And it's not just them. I think this is the focus of the entire team. You just bring in players that you felt could fit into that style and that system and that understanding and that commitment to play. And there's no doubt that you see the benefits of that. Look, there's a long way to go. The Bruins are not an easy team to defeat. 
Boston is a team that went to the Stanley Cup final last year, got to a game seven, came within a game of winning the Stanley Cup. There's and they're still a very, very good team. So I'm not by any means saying that the Lightning have accomplished anything. All they've done is won three of the first four games in this series. You still have to win the fourth one. But there's just a different mindset, and I think that's an area in which we see it. All right, on to Andre Palat. Andre Palat is uh, one of the best two-way wingers in the game. He's never reached the 20-goal mark, although he's capable of it. But he's able to chip in on both sides of the ice. And when we talked in Game 1, or Game 2 rather, Game 2, where Sorelli's line with Alex Kalorn and Tyler Johnson possession-wise were being pretty much controlled by the line of Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand. Marchand, I don't know which name he uses this week. But how the Lightning and John Cooper didn't shy away from that matchup, and there they were in overtime, matched up against him for the first shift of overtime. And I kind of let you know that that's John Cooper's thinking. This is the trust and belief that he has in his players. So first round against Columbus, you didn't see a whole lot out of Andre Pollat, right? Like you were wondering, where did he fit in? Is he a good fit on a line with Point and Kucherov? Can he play? Even though the numbers were pretty good at times during that series, but Pollat wasn't really showing up on the score sheet. Well, rather than changing things, rather than mixing things and moving it around, he kept with Andre Pollat. He kept him with... Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point. And they've spent a good portion of the season together. And now, now you're getting results out of Andre Palat. Scores the big overtime goal in Game 2 that even the series up at a game apiece. Had the uh, power play goal in Game 3 that got things rolling for them and, and really got them off the schneid in terms of their power play production. And then he has two goals today. So that's goals in three consecutive games. This is the thing about the playoffs. That in one series, you can have one player step up, and in the next series, it's going to be somebody else, and then in the next series, it might be somebody else. This is where the Lightning's depth is, right? Like, you don't have a player like Andre Pollock going, but you're not overly concerned about it because that's the trust and belief that John Cooper has in his players. So... There was a lot of talk, should he be moved around? And I'm going to address that because I do have a question on that uh, a little bit later on. Um, but that's how much trust he has in him. And, you know, Pilat is never going to be a flashy type of player. He's not going to jump out at you. He's not going to wow you with elite skill. But he is going to work his tail off. He is one of their better players in terms of winning battles along the walls. He's just... He's just smart in that way, and that's that's what makes him a, a really good 200-foot player. You know, he used to kill penalties for this team. doesn't do it as much anymore because you have other players that can do it. But then all of a sudden you look up, and he's got goals in four straight games. So again, that's the trust and belief that John Cooper and the staff have in their players. Yeah, things do need to be mixed around sometimes, but you never know when it's just going to work. But if you keep... Uh, putting that trust in your players, you, and eventually players like Pilat, you're gonna you're gonna reap the benefits from it, right? Like, 
let's think back to 2004 and the run that the Lightning made to the Stanley Cup final and eventually a championship. You know, Vinny LeCavalier was questioned because he didn't really do much in that series against the Islanders. Right? It was Mar- it was a Marty St. Louis show in a lot of ways. Think of the shorthanded goal he scored and, you know, turning Kenny Johnson inside out. Uh, game up in New York. The overtime winner that Marty St. Louis had in game five that ended that series. But lo and behold, Vinny LeCavalier came to life against the Montreal Canadiens. Scored a, a, a big goal at the end of the uh, second period, uh, I believe in Game 2 against Montreal, had the the between-the-legs goal in Game 3 against the Canadiens, right? And then we get to the series against Philadelphia. All of a sudden, Ruslan Fedotenko had an unbelievable series. I think he scored six goals against the Flyers in that Eastern Conference Final. So it, it, it doesn't always have to be the same player. Like in the series against Columbus, it was Braden Point. And Braden Point's having a good series here against Boston, but not to the level he had against Columbus. But here's Andre Palat. Now he stepped up. So that's why I tell you, John Cooper is a very patient coach. Sometimes it backfires on you, sometimes it doesn't. But he just has this belief in his players, and he's not going to change it up. Just as we saw the trust that they had in the Sorelli line, you also have the trust that he has in a guy like Andre Pilat to come through. All right, let's get to the Nick Ritchie situation. Uh, first of all, Ritchie got himself into a little bit of hot water in the first period because, and this kind of relates as well, Cedric Paquette delivered a hit that was essentially shoulder to shoulder. It was on the, a little bit on the backside of the shoulder, but it was on the shoulder. And it was against the puck carrier. And it was a hard hit, but I think a clean hit. Well, Nick Ritchie didn't like that. He came over and challenged Cedric Paquette right away. Drops the glove, start throwing punches. He probably should have been handed a double minor there. He got two minutes for roughing. Probably should have been two minutes for roughing and two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct because he took his gloves off. Or they could have given him a five-minute fighting major and pocket nothing because pocket didn't retaliate then he got a power play out of it okay you move on well now let's go to the second period and this is a key part of the game and this is why we're going to hear from both coaches here in a second yanni gord gets drilled by richie and it's a dirty hit it's a dirty dirty hit from behind blindside on an unsuspecting player The puck is already way gone. The puck is already beyond the blue line. It's up near the red line by the time Richie hits him. So that's a player who has no expectation to be hit. If you listen to any of the videos that Department of Player Safety puts out, they'll time it. There will actually be a timer on it. And if you're more than .8 seconds late, and I haven't timed it, but if you're more than .8 seconds late, they consider it a late hit. So it ends up being a boarding call. I thought it should have been interference, but it ends up being a boarding call. It's a five-minute manger. Those are reviewed. So the officials on the ice call it a major. They go back to the video. They review it, and they stick with it. It's a five-minute major. No ejection. It could have come with it. Usually, though, if you read the rule, the rule does state that if there's a head injury or facial injury, that's usually where the game misconduct comes from. So it was just a five-minute boarding call. The Lightning ended up scoring on that. 
Victor Hedman called it a uh, big bomb from the blue line. It was not a big bomb. It was a shot that actually hit the skate of... Uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong. Uh, might have been Charlie Coyle. Either way, it went off a skate, popped up in the air. Yaroslav Halak and really everybody lost sight of it, and it ends up falling uh, right over his shoulder into the back of the net. So the Lightning get a lucky break there, a fortunate bounce, if you will. Uh, but that made the game 4 nothing at that point. Well, after the game, Bruce Cassidy was asked about it. John Cooper was asked about it. And these are going to be their two responses. Uh, and Cassidy went first. He he was on his Zoom media call first. So Cooper was on his second. So let's hear from Cassidy first to get his reaction to it. And then we're going to come back with the reaction from John Cooper. Well, the discipline was nothing originally. There was no call. And then it turned into a five-minute major. Not sure. I guess we'll get an explanation or we won't. I don't know. I didn't get one of why that changed. Clearly, Gord was uh, was down on the play, and he's a good player, real good player for him. Clever, obviously. Uh, you know, got them on the power play for five minutes. He finished the game, had no problems in the third period. So um, I didn't agree with the call. As I said, a Kuhlman got hit by Paquette late in the first period. Very, 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 very similar hit. Uh, no call. So that was Bruce Cassidy, Boston's head coach, who uh, is subtly accusing Yanni Gord of staying down too long after the hit to try and draw a call. Of course, uh, look, he looked shaken up, uh, looked like the shoulder uh, took the brunt of the force, did lay down on the ice, stayed down on the ice for a little bit, and uh, went back to the locker room but came out to start the third period. So John Cooper was asked about Bruce Cassidy's comments, and this is what he had to say. Well, he is a clever player, so there's no doubt about that. Uh, but I think you know, that was a league-reviewed hit, so they didn't just make up the five minutes. There's a lot of people involved uh, that, that goes into that. So um, I, I would, you know, my response would be, I, I thought, yeah, you know, you're always battling for your guys take myself out of being the head coach of the Lightning. I thought the late, I thought the hit was late. Um, and, you know, it's it's hitting an unexpected, unexpected opponent. And so I think those are the hits that if you're going to hit somebody not expecting, you're going to hit somebody from behind or you're going to hit somebody in the head, those are no-nos now in the league. And Richie checked off a bunch of boxes there. Um, so I think if it's regular season, I'm just guessing. So, don't hold me to this. Nobody's talked to me. I have no idea what the league's doing, uh, but I'm sure it's going to be reviewed. But it's a uh, you know regular season for sure is a suspension, and so clever or not, it would be a suspension. Uh, playoffs. Um, I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say regular season. I think the fact that they gave him a five probably takes him off the hook of being suspended. So that would be my guess. It's playoff hockey. It's uh, it's tough. I'm, I'm Glad, and, and the fact that Gordo came back. Um, so we didn't hold him back. He was, you know, Gordo was a tough kid. We were trying to err on the side of caution. So Gordo will come back. He's like, not a chance. I want back in this game. And uh, so I would say, yes, he is a clever player, but he's also a betsy player uh, coming back. So that is the rhetoric, the back and forth that sometimes comes up in a playoff series between coaches between teams between uh everything that 
you know, we love about the playoffs and what makes them emotional and everything else. Um, you know, I, I guess the, you know, that's Cassidy sticking up for his player. I, I guess the problem that you probably have is calling, trying to call out Yanni Gord and calling him a diver. Does he believe that? I don't know that he believes that. I, you know, there's a reason that we in the media like to have players and coaches, um, immediately or close to immediately after a game because they're still involved in it. Like the emotions are still in it. So is that an emotional reaction? Probably. Does Cassidy believe Yanni Gord to be a dishonest player? Cause that's what he's accusing of a being. Maybe not, but you know, maybe he's trying to get under the skin of Yanni Gord of the lightning, whatever it is, mind games. Maybe you knock him off track just a little bit, you know, um, that's probably all that is, but you know that's uh, that's the back and forth that we tend to get sometimes in the playoffs. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. All right, let's let's get to the questions. Um, got quite a few of them that come in. So uh, again, if you ever want to ask a question, use the hashtag Ask. EE on Twitter, and uh, I will get to your questions. So look for them when I when I send those out after games or whenever I'm going to record a podcast. So let's get to your questions. Let's first start with a couple of comments. I actually came in before the game was over from uh, Michael Musetta. Um, the first one is there usually a game misconduct on a major like Richie's. What determines it? Yeah, usually if there's a head injury or um, if there's a hit to the head, usually that to determine whether or not it's a major. If there's um, you know, a facial injury. That's, that's how the rule, uh, is, is played out. Uh, also from Michael, just a comment starting the second and third periods, starting at center ice helps the PK. It absolutely does. I know there's been some talk about potentially because as it is now, when you start power plays, you get to choose which, uh, uh, face off dot you, you want to start the power play in, in the offensive zone. Whereas at the start of a period, it's back at center ice, and that does kind of give the PK a little bit of an advantage that allows them to, you know, if they win the faceoff, you could potentially kill an extra 10, 12 seconds as opposed to, you know, if the puck is in the, and even if the offensive team, you know, the team on the power play wins the faceoff, you know, there's, they're not set up in the zone. That could take them an extra six, seven seconds just to get into the zone. So, um, interesting, uh, interesting thought that's kind of been out there before. Uh, also from, uh, Michael stay out of the box and Boston has a hard time scoring five on five. I absolutely totally agree with that. I thought that was the case, even heading into this series that if Tampa Bay kept it five on five, they would have a much better chance to win. And it's playing out like that because the last two goals of Bruins have scored in game three. And now in game four, both have been on the power play. They have not scored an even strength goal. Uh, you got to go back to game two uh, as an even strength goal in that one. Uh, from Chris Wright, do you think Richie gets a suspension for his hit on Gord? You know, based on the way that player safety tends to deal with things in the postseason, my guess would be no. I mean, look, they didn't even give Nick Felino a hearing for the hit he delivered to Mikhail Sergachev that I thought was a, a pretty bad hit in um, in in the series against the Blue Jackets. So, uh, the only thing about this one, and I, and I think I said it earlier, is the lateness of it. You know, like I said, 0.8 seconds is the threshold. And in my mind, there was more than enough time for Nick Ritchie to pull up and not deliver that hit. 
and it was late. I thought it actually was supposed to be or should have been an interference call because of the lateness of it. They called it boarding. Uh, either way, it was going to end up being a, a five-minute uh, call. Uh, Suspension-worthy, I think it probably is. Uh, they tend to view things a little bit differently in the postseason as opposed to the regular season. Uh, we'll see if anything comes out of it. Uh, my guess is it'll at least be uh, reviewed for sure. It gets flagged, whether he gets a hearing. It, look, if he gets a hearing, there's probably a suspension coming. If, if there's no word about a hearing, then that's probably not going to be it. Uh, from Handers Mark, uh, thanks again for a question. Um, was the fight a good move uh, by Barclay Goodrow because Nick Ritchie was quote-unquote headhunting on the ice, or was it bad because it took off the ice a good Lightning player and a bad Bruin player? I'd like to know your honest opinion after what you said on Keith Jones. Thanks for the podcast. Well, you know, what I had said about Keith Jones is that there's a culture. He, Keith Jones said it wasn't a good look for Sorelli to decline the fight with Brandon Carlo. Carlo is clearly trying to get his team fired up. Sorelli understands he has to stay on the ice. There's no reason for him to get into a fight there. In this situation, Richie had already delivered a couple of uh, bad plays. He went after Cedric Paquette, dropped the gloves, threw some punches, only got a two-minute minor for it, and then the hit that we had discussed on Yanni Gord that turned into a five-minute major uh, for Richie and ended up being a third power play goal uh, or a third goal on the power play for Tampa Bay. Uh, so that's a different situation. You're seeing Goodrow basically trying to send a message and let Nick Ritchie go, look, you you need to stop doing this. You're you're doing bad hits on our players. This is how you're this is how we're going to respond. So it's a different scenario, it's a different situation in why it went. Um and look, Ritchie is not going to turn down a fight. And that's a situation too where Barkley Goodrow is a smart enough player where he didn't jump him. He he challenged him. Let's go. And Richie obliged. So, you know, the one, the situation with Carlo is Carlo dropped the gloves and tried to go into a fight, and Sorelli did not uh, go back at him, where in this one, Goodrow went with him. So completely different circumstances, but I, I do appreciate, um, you know, the difference in, in what you think it might be. So I, I did not have a problem with it just because of that. Like, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not an advocate for fighting. I think fighting should be taken out of the game or, you know, min- minimized. It's, it is starting to be minimized uh, as it is. Uh, I know I'm going to catch a lot of heat for that comment, but that's just kind of how I feel. Uh, from Kenny P 1021, Bruce Cassidy. That's it. That's the question. Yeah. We talked about that. Uh, not, not a good look when you come out and accuse the other team of diving. Um, you know, it's, to me, it's a sign of a team that uh, knows they're in a desperate situation and, and they're trying to, grab traction onto anything, and if they can kind of throw Tampa Bay and particularly maybe Yanni Gord off uh, his game, then, you know, that's something that they think uh, certainly benefits their play and maybe gives them an advantage. Uh, (laughs) From Don't Read My Name, Uh, I love this. This is uh, Prezmak. I guess we'll go with that. Prezmak? Prezmak? Uh, clearly, I think that's a check name, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, my only one who thinks that we play very slow on the power play rarely hit one-timers. Uh, I missed that quick passing from stick to stick around the net. Last time I asked about Palat being moved into the second line. Today scores two goals. Ha ha. Yeah, well, yeah, we talked about Andre Palat. Uh, the power play, yeah. you know, look, today's game, like, we talked about the power play adjustments that the Lightning had made for Game 3, switching Nikita Kucherov, letting him sort of be the quarterback over there, and creating space for himself and for Mikhail Sergachev in particular. 
Well, today the Bruins took a much different approach. They were extremely aggressive on the puck. I mean, they were extremely aggressive on the puck. They were not going to let Nikita Kucherov have time and space to create plays. And not just him. They were on top of the puck and, and really going after the puck carry in those situations. So you do have to make quick movements, but you have to make quick, smart movements in that situation, especially with the Bruins. They can be so dangerous shorthanded, particularly when Bergeron and Marchand are on the ice. So I think they were a little bit more conservative with their approach today. Um, and again, Boston made their adjustment on their penalty kill uh, and the Lightning didn't have that quick movement to try and that's how you get away from a quick press in the zone is to find, you just have to know where the players are. Didn't do as good a job of it uh, today as they did before from Bob uh, really like Tampa Bay's defensive structure. The last few games, clogging up center ice and defending the blue line instead of the D dropping back new approach. It is frustrating. Boston does have two and 55 in lineup. Give that D more flexibility over 27. Love the podcast. Thank you, Bob. Um, yeah, look, they, they know that their defensive approach has to be different. You can't let the Bruins come through with speed. I, I mean, how many breakaways or two-on-one chances have the Bruins created in this series, and I think they've adjusted to it. You didn't see as many of them today on the Bruins' part. I think that's reflective of kind of how they're trying to um, uh, slow the puck down in front. Yeah, you're right, frustrate Boston, there's no doubt. Um, and as far as Shen and Coburn being in the lineup, uh, it do- look, we talked about the advantage of 7-11 in the Lightning's case because it, in, in the situation that they're in, because you don't have McDonough, and McDonough plays 22, 25 minutes a night, he gets the tough defensive assignments, you don't have him there now. So you have to rotate things around. And I think what Shannon Coburn have been able to do in the three games now that they've been in in this series is give the Lightning that flexibility. Give them some opportunity. They were always there as options, right? They were always there as options to come in if somebody got hurt. Now both of them are in, and it's allowed Hedman to play with everybody because you want Victor Hedman out there as much as you can. I think I even saw that Hedman play 10 minutes in the third period today, which is, again, go back to game three, 7-1 game. You have an opportunity to rest Hedman, who only took two shifts in the third period. You get the payoff today because that's how uh, they've kind of rotated their D around. All right, from another one from Michael Musetta. Uh, I think Point gets lots lost on the point line. Everyone concentrates on Point and Kucherov, but he was one of the triplets besides Pilatus climbing the all-time goals list in the playoffs of the Lightning. Very underrated, great asset. He is. Yeah, that's the, we talked about him. He, he's not going to wow you. He's not going to jump out at you. He's just a guy who comes to work, uh, wins a lot of the board battles, a smart player, can make plays. He's not a playmaker, but he can make plays. Uh, and he's kind of that guy that kind of wins those pucks and, and is able to get them to point in Kucherov in those situations. Uh, from Ant underscore Verdi, that's A-N-T underscore V-R-E-D-I, uh, completely hypothetical if Stamkos is ready uh, advance to game one of the, I assume you mean the conference finals. What line do you have them on? The second line drop Kalorn to the fourth, maybe. I don't know. Uh, interesting question. I don't know the answer to it. Um, I know there's lots of reports and speculation 
regarding Steven Stamkos, uh, again, it's hard to get information if nobody's going to answer the questions that you're asking, even to those who might be in the know. You can't get an answer uh, on what's going on with the situation. Uh, but if he's able to come back, um, you know, I don't know if you're going to mess around too much with the Palak Point Kucherov line. Uh, so maybe putting him on a right wing, actually, instead of Tyler Johnson. Um, you know, and keep Cologne on that line because I think Cologne and Sorelli have some really good chemistry. Um, that's That would be my thought. But then what do you do with Tyler Johnson? I don't think you're going to disrupt the Gord-Gudrow-Coleman line. Do you put Johnson on a fourth line role? Interesting. But again, it's all hypothetical because we don't know anything uh, about Steven Stamkos. And that leads into Rob uh, Rob's question. Any time frame on Stamkos' return? Look, not getting answers because Steve or uh, John Cooper said, no more questions. And there's nobody in the bubble that we know of, because the, the other question from Colton, do we know if Stammer has even been skating in the bubble? We don't know. We don't even get practice updates from the team anymore. So I can't answer that question. I wish I could. The ones that I tried to ask the questions to, you don't get answers back on. And the last one here from Greg, GP76 underscore Tampa. Big narrative after Game 3 was Boston had a bad game, got bad breaks, and everyone seemed to think Boston would bounce back. Why did nobody in the national media stop to think that Tampa is just better? Uh, you know, I don't know why people think that, because, you know, I, I saw somebody ask a question before the series that felt that the Bruins had better depth than the Lightning, and I, and I thought to myself, no, they have one line and some decent depth. Not great depth, decent depth. Because if they're not getting production out of Krejci and DeBrusque and Charlie Coyle, and look, Charlie Coyle is a big reason why the Bruins made it to the Stanley Cup final last year because he gave them secondary scoring. They're not getting that now. If Marsh, I mean, Martian has four goals in the series. DeBrusque scored today. You know, I, I, I don't know why people think the Bruins have more depth bigger market situation, I don't know. But I agree with you. I've thought it before. I think Tampa Bay is the better team overall depth-wise. Now, I think the Bruins play a very structured, disciplined game. But I think the, the Lightning have the better overall talent, and they have the better depth at basically every position. You've got an MVP in Nikita Kucherov. Bruins have a possible MVP candidate in Pasternak. He's not a finalist this year, but he had that type of a year. Bergeron is probably still one or two in terms of uh, two-way centers in the league. And Marshan's an elite elite winger. But I, I still think the Lightning have more depth, and I think that's the reason why they're ahead in this series and why I think they're going to win the series. That's why I even picked them to win the series as well. All right, well, that's going to wrap up uh, this edition uh, of the podcast. Again, Tampa Bay knocks off the Boston Bruins by a score to 3-1. Now have a 3-1 series lead in the best of seven series. Again, game five will take place on Monday about 7 o'clock. Again, that game is on NBC Sports Network. Uh, I know that the uh, the games have been jumping all over the dial uh, here for the Lightning, but um, again, it will be 7 o'clock 
on Monday. And I'll be back with a post-game podcast after that. So make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you five-star review it. Make sure you even leave me a review if you want. Share it. Let your friends know it's out there. Uh, Very interactive if you ever want to ask questions uh, as well. So send them my way whenever you can. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate the support. And again, we'll be back on Monday. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.